0: Welcome to the Swim Swam Breakdown. I'm Coleman Hodges coming to you from Brooklyn, New York. We are joined, as always, by Swim Swim Swam Editor-in-Chief Braden Keith from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and Robert Gibbs from the Quad Cities in Iowa. What's up, guys? How was your weekend of college swimming?
1: How's the corn hanging in Iowa? The corn is cut right now. New batch coming before (laughs) too long, I'm sure. You said that way too fluidly, and that concerns me. You're turning into an Iowa boy. Uh, We'll see.
2: We'll see. I mean, there's only so much to do around here. So
0: I just watched Children of the Corn 2, and so I'm very sensitive to that, and uh, I'd rather we change the subject.
2: Let's talk about swimming. (laughs)
0: Let's talk about swimming. Let's start with the SEC Championships. Tennessee gets their crown back after getting it taken by Kentucky last year. Tennessee women always look great at conference. They, they always swim kind of out of their minds. Um, but my question is, can they hold it through to NCAAs, especially with Alabama looking like the more prepared NCAA team?
1: Yeah. You know, (laughs) It's all relative, right? And and in the most recent data, Tennessee didn't do terrible at NCAAs last year. They've certainly done worse at holding their taper. Um, so I think they can hold it, but they're kind of on the outside of that top group looking in from an NCAA perspective. Um, you know, Ellen Walsh is very good. She won a crazy triple, but she's not going to win that triple at NCAA. So to me, they were always kind of the the sixth team um and so if they don't do well they're going from sixth to seventh I think I think when they think they have a chance at a top three finish they'll they'll change their approach um but for now I think they value an SEC title more than they value sort of one spot higher at NCAAs um so I think they'll do okay they showed they've they're starting to figure it out a little bit last year but I don't think they're in that group with Texas and NC State
2: Uh, they look great at SECs love to see him continue and do something amazing at ncaa's and kind of crack that top five against what we think is going to you know what we expect to see for that top five because it'd be a fun surprise but realistically uh just virginia stanford cal uh, nc state texas that's a top tough group to uh, to crack and even with tennessee's what they did at uh, secs they'd have to i think probably improve even more crack the top five so Do you think like, they can uh, beat the, alabama
1: at ncaa's that's Sorry.
0: what i'm really curious about
2: yeah i i don't know alabama looked good at the midseason invite they threw down lots of fast times they looked good good again here and I mean, uh,
0: we'll their see. relays are just sensational they did not miss a beat even though you know they brought in fresh blood and they just got better from last year
1: so so here's the simulator numbers um, this is no diving, uh, and Pac-12 hasn't swum yet, so take Stanford with a grain of salt. Swimulator shows Virginia at 498, NC State at 335, Tennessee at 301.5, and Alabama at 272.5. So if Tennessee wants to beat Alabama at NCAAs, again, we're assuming Alabama is going to be able to hold on to their taper um, with a head coach who's never done this taper before as a as a coach, Um but if Alabama holds on to what they're doing, Tennessee doesn't have a big margin for error. That's 29 points. So tough. I, I would lean towards Alabama, but I'm kind of surprised that Tennessee is still ahead of them in the simulator with those relays. The
0: Tennessee also has diving, right? I mean, traditionally, they, they will score in diving, whereas Bama, maybe not as much.
1: Um, I don't think Tennessee women have much diving this year. <laughs> I should have looked this up already, but I'm pretty yeah, sure. Brown and our diving in. expert. You know it's fun? Just looking real quick. Uh, well, Alabama's Alabama's platform. Alabama's platform diver won the SEC title, didn't she? With their fourth okay. head coach in five years, like you think the 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 Alabama swim coach situation oh. is crazy. Alabama diving is using a graduate assistant and they still had a conference champion on platform.
0: That's going to be a close battle. Definitely one to watch the NCAAs. Definitely an exciting one. Moving on to the men. Florida had was missing two of their top dudes. <laughs> and namely their double Olympic champion and still just creamed everyone, especially in his event, the mile, seven out of the top nine spots. I mean, this is like hats off to Nesty and Co. Because this is just kind of unprecedented.
1: Yeah, the, I mean, they got a lot of dudes on that team. They were missing two dudes and it still wasn't even close. That was probably the craziest like power five conference performance I've ever seen from them or anybody. Um, just the way that they were able to dominate the mile without Robert Fink, win the all five relays without Dylan Hillis as a breaststroker on the four medley, um, you know, presuming that their COVID cases aren't too severe and they're able to get back in the water pretty quick. Like Florida looks really good. And what I think is really interesting about them is they're they are they're finally getting an identity. Um, you know, it really feels like we now know what Florida is. Florida is a distance group where everybody's going to finish their races really well. And then they're going to have a lot of guys that you don't think about in the sprints. Um, So, you know, it's, it's, I think when teams start to get identities like that, that's when you start to turn a corner and obviously you've got to be good at everything to win an NCAA title, but I think you have to kind of start with an identity and I think NC state men have done that too. Um, And so, you know, Nesty has all the momentum. And I think this, is, this next recruiting class is going to be massive for Florida. And I think by 2025, 2026, it's, they're going to be up there with Texas and Cal. I think, it, I think it's going to be a real four-team battle for NCAAs, which we haven't seen in a long time.
2: Speaking of recruiting, I think one thing that really stood out to me for the Gators Mendes, <laughs> was contributions from freshmen who weren't necessarily top five or top 10 recruits. Uh, McGuire, McDuff. Uh, split A great it, name of this. First of all, 18 1869 anchoring their two free relay as a freshman, yeah. Uh, 42 mid on the 100 free, uh, guys going 130. Again, freshman going 132 to Oscar Lindholm on the 800 free relay. Uh, so it wasn't just you know, again, the top guys delivering, it was a whole team battle, and they got maybe 14 or 15 NCAA qualifiers potentially already. Uh, maybe a few more in there once, once the cut lines you now show up to see where they are actually at. Uh,
1: it seems like more and more teams are going to have be bumping against that 18 swimmer cap this year. I'm going to see how that interesting to see how that turns out and who's going to suffer. I mean, there's going to be certain teams that aren't going to get nearly as many qualifiers as they usually do. I think
0: the, this team battle felt kind of like big 12s, right? It was like, I mean, there, it was like not, much of a battle And Georgia has like a strong team and I think they'll do well at NCAAs also, but, um, seems like some of some of the other schools team wise maybe had like a dip year. Um, they might have studs, but they just don't have the depth of Florida. Uh, what a week for freshmen though, especially Jordan Crooks, fastest freshman of all time. Now, do we think that he can carry that to NCAAs? Maybe, uh, maybe drop a few hundreds?
1: Oh, maybe. I, I I, don't know. We don't have a lot of information to go off of because he's had such a huge breakout season. Um, I I tend to be pessimistic about these things and think that they're not going to quite hold it. I'm thinking about other examples like Bo Becker when he had his first big breakout at Big Tens. So I think he'll be good. I don't know if he's going to hold 18-5, um, <clears throat> but I think he'll be an 18 for sure.
0: I'm pretty excited to watch that one. So... I think we're good on SECs. Let's switch to ACCs. Um, Virginia women did their thing. <laughs> Three NCAA records and relays. They won like every title on day two. I think they like swept the individual events, swept the relays. Uh, I mean, just an all around best performance. You could really hope for NC state women. Brain, you were saying this earlier, kind of built for that, more built for that conference meet, but they made it close. I mean, we wrote an article on the last day that like can NC State catch UVA, and like it wasn't likely, but it could have happened, right?
1: Right, and that was after last week on the podcast, we just blew through it, saying <laughs> it's fine, Virginia's going to win. Um, and you know, I think Virginia knew it was going to be close. I think just talking to people around that program, they had a sense of the way NC state was built and that NC state is built for conference meets um, just because of their depth. And, and it's not that they don't have stars like Catherine Burkoff, who's going to score a lot of points at NCAAs, but they, they aren't going to beat Virginia at NCAAs. And I don't think it'll be that close, but they could have beat Virginia at ACC's um, and they had about a perfect meet. But again, they had a perfect meet, great conference team and Virginia still won by 70 points. It wound up not being Super close, and like after this meet, it's kind of it's NCAA's feels like a runaway. I know Stanford's got all that talent, and we're still waiting to see what they do at the conference meet. But like Alex Walsh is going two hundred three zero in the two hundred breaststroke, and she's not going to swim it at NCAA's. That's just like I don't know how to process that, and and people are asking, oh, what's she going to do in long course? I don't even want to answer that question until I see what she does in the 200 fly, because I feel like we're going to sell out on. Oh, she should do the 200 breast. She should do the 200 breast, and then she's going to pop off a 149 in the 200 fly, and we're all going to say, "Oh, she should do the 200 fly, 200 fly, 200 fly." Um, it's, and then she'll it's, do
0: the 200 back. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. It's just it's hard to process how good they are. That it, they're one of those teams that like it's just like over and over again. They're just, they're just dominated races. I mean, there were so many races that they dominated and they have such good swimmers.
2: I love UVA's not only top end talent, but the versatility of swimmers like Walsh and Douglas. I I did some quick math this morning. Uh, If you tally up Alex Walsh's best back, 100 back and best 100 breast, which are both three or four years old at this point, and her 49.6 fly, you get a 400 medley relay of Alex Walsh of 324.9. (sighs) Whew. Would be one of the top few in history and that's with two old times in there or with uh, maybe i subtracted half a second for a relay split but still like alex a relay of four alex Walshes would be one of the top you know 400 medley relays in history
1: i mean she's got to be a 49 second backstroker right and she's got to be a 57 second breaststroker
2: i mean she went 50.8 oh. in on the uh 100 yeah. back yeah so <laughs> And we've already seen some commenters discuss, you know, who's more versatile, is it Walsh or Douglas? And well, and that's what's so wild. Crazy. Like, uh, what a question to have, you know, to yeah. be able to ask if both those swimmers on one team.
1: It's almost like Douglas disappeared at this meet. And I know she didn't, but Alex Walsh was so good that, like, there was not that much conversation about Kate Douglas and Gretchen Walsh was so good for that matter. And I know part of that's just cause Kate is Kate and we, we already know how good she is and she didn't really go best times or a lot of best times. Um, but like, again, if you can do something at an ACC championship meets that makes people stop talking about Kate Douglas, you've really done something crazy.
0: Okay. So what I'm wondering for NCAAs is, is last year, you know, UVA broke the two medley um, uh, American NCAA record at ACCs, and then NC State won the title. Right? I mean, could could that happen again this year? And I, obviously, NCAA is anything's possible. It's a different meet, yada yada. But it's like we didn't see that coming last year, right? That was a complete surprise. Could it happen again?
1: I feel you know the the difference is that it's on the first day of this year. Um, so everybody's swimming a little fresher. On the other hand, you don't know where everybody's at. So that, But that changes the calculus for NC State too, right? Like they had great medley relays at NCAAs last year, but they found Julia Poole to anchor the 400 medley relay by knowing she was swimming well. Uh, I don't know. I feel like with, with Gretchen on the roster this year, it's like their talent is so overwhelming that I I can't guarantee that they're going to swim – Faster at NCAA's, but I have to believe they're going to win still.
0: I mean, NC State almost broke Virginia's, or, or sorry, almost broke the old Forner Medley relay record, NCAA record, and lost by two seconds. I mean, it just wasn't even fair, right? Uh, so, you know, something to keep an eye on, but yeah, that's, it doesn't seem. So, do we think NC State? can hold off Stanford and and defend their second place finish from last year. That's the real question.
1: It's such a tough question because we know how much talent Stanford has and they haven't really shown us what they're capable of yet. And we don't, we don't know. And after Olympic trials, I'm sorry, we have to, we have to say this. We don't know if that's because they've shown us what they have um, and and that's what they have, or if they're just saving it all for next week. Um so by, by the next time we see each other, we'll know or we'll, we'll at least have a better idea. But NC State looked really good to me. We're still waiting to see the Texas women, too. Don't forget about them. Um, I think they're better than they may. They, they don't have a lot of flash to them, um, a lot of big names on their roster this year. But I think the Texas women are in that battle, too, based on depth. Um, if I had to call it right now. I think I'd still stick with the Stanford talent. I I just still think, you know, Reagan Smith is a 50 point scorer. I, I, I just still would stick with the Stanford talent, but NC state has made me think a lot harder about that than I would have a week ago.
0: Robert, what's your crystal ball say?
1: Again, I agree. We'll
2: have to see how PAC 12s goes for sure. Stanford's just has so much talent on that roster. You, You think they should be able to get up there? But we've seen NC State deliver time and time again over the last few years, and uh, I would not count them out by any stretch of the imagination.
1: I miss Loretta. She disagrees with me on everything. Robert sorry, just agrees because right we... I'm right on everything. But like <laughs> Loretta still disagrees with me. And I like
2: that. I wonder if uh, Burkhoff swims the 200 back and 100 free at NCAA's. Like she's an amazing 200 backstroker. That's a, that's a dirty double.
1: <laughs> I would bet not because she 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 was a, she had a very good 100 freestyle and that's going to put her on the relays for them. Um, but she's not title contender in the 100 free. It's going to take 47 low to win the 100 free. She went 46 high. Wait, what? <laughs> 47 right, 40, low. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, 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 sorry. Yeah, I was going to say 40, 46 <laughs> low to mid. I mean.
2: Hundreds behind Douglas, so I don't know. I'm yeah, thinking but,
0: 45 high, Maggie what about McNeil. Maggie.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, McNeil, yeah, there's, there's plenty of others out there. She Not didn't even the 200 rest back, 200. back to stack too, though.
1: Yeah, it is, but she's, I think, she's in the conversation for a title in the 200 back. I don't think she's really in the conversation for the title in on the 100 free.
0: Yeah, I mean, I she's the defending. That defending NCAA champ in the 100 she held Gretchen off for the ACC title which i was shocked at i i don't feel like gretchen had a great swim which she proved because she let off the relay like a second faster yeah so it's like okay but like you know burkoff still had a great swim and it seems like she can definitely carry that momentum into the 200 better than the 100 free uh okay speaking of something else that braden was right about ohio state women still I love, I
1: love speaking about, that I've about
0: still still getting it done three times in a row now that the swim swam staff has most of them at least have been like oh we the think Michigan can do it
1: the official pick
0: and uh, I
1: recognize I have wrong. the prerogative to change at any time but I try not to do that unless I have to I think Michigan was a reasonable pick like I don't think Michigan was an unreasonable pick but after two straight years of it, I did think Ohio State was going to win, um, as you saw in last week's swim-swim breakdown. Um, you know, it, it, it definitely closed the gap. We saw where the the new roster limits impacted Ohio State more than anybody else. Um, some of the meat for Ohio State has got to be Nia Funderburk. Bill Dorencott is taking a little bit of heat for not putting her on the scoring roster. Oh, you should have recognized in practice that she was ready to go. She was the... Like a 56 in the 100 back midseason. Like, I don't think he made the wrong call at all, even though it was proven to be not the maximal scoring roster. You know, she went a 51 6, which is a, a great time for her, but like there was no race or meet indication that she had that in her. We don't know what they saw in practice. She, she did get to come, which still means something. So he, you know, he wasn't like, Oh, you know, if, if he thought she was going to go another 56, she wouldn't have made the 24 swimmer roster. She wouldn't have made the travel roster. So he, you know, he knew she was going to be better than that. Um, but I think it's cool that she still made NCAAs. I think that's a big swim for somebody out of, a, out of an exhibition prelims race. Um, and I love that it's still NCAA eligible. To me, that says that the Big Ten's roster contraction, they did it the right way. You know, like teams like Ohio State can still bring extra swimmers for official swims. They just don't count towards scoring. And I know it's important to those coaches that they give the, the teams at the bottom of the conference a chance to put swimmers in finals because we've seen that conference under assault by cuts in the last few years, Iowa and Michigan State, um, and rumors of other programs. So, like, I think, it's, I think it's important. We see this in college athletics as kind of rebalancing. Um, you know, college football teams, the top four teams in the country used to be able to take high school All-Americans and bury them on the bench just to keep other teams from having them with full scholarships. So that's why scholarship limits are there and roster limits are another way to do it. And I think it's good for the health of the sport, even though it creates sort of some pain points in the short term where you have swimmers um that could be on scoring rosters left on the bench.
0: Robert, what do you think of Ohio State? How did they get this done?
2: You know, they just kind of do it quietly every year. There's really no one name you can point to. Usually, you're go, oh, yeah, that's an Ohio State somewhere. Where you think of the big stars uh, on, throughout the rest of the NCAA, but they just show up and get the job done. And, and just going back to you know our picks, and I, I didn't, you know, I didn't do the pick for that, but I, I know every, you know, it takes a couple of years before we really start believing in a certain team. Sometimes. And I thought for myself. Once you kind of flip the switch on a team, that's when they start disappointing you. So next year we might pick Ohio State to win, and they may not. So you just never really know. That's why you know. It's why it's fun to try. Um, but again, just talented roster, top to bottom. Relays were there, and without even really coming, you know, the person we talked about isn't someone. Uh, wasn't even someone on the scoring roster. So it just shows you they're doing a great job developing swimmers from top to bottom over there.
0: Coming off of the Big Ten women. Totally forgot about the ACC men. That NC State freshman class really showed up. I mean, they—they, they, I, I feel like they met expectations. False? True? Uh,
1: no, totally true. I, what was the 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 stat that somebody that you threw out, Robert? David Curtis was NC State's lowest scoring individual swimmer. Pretty of, sure, that's correct? Yeah, of those that scored. Um, which is partially because he's kind of a 50 hundred free guy, doesn't have a great third event, but you know, even he was was otherworldly. You know, if it wasn't for Jordan Crooks, it'd be David Curtis that was the the freshman of the week. Um, you know, what I thought was interesting: NC State freshmen showed up for sure, but they didn't score that many more points than some of the other freshman classes. So they scored 226 um, with four scoring swimmers. Louisville scored 191 with five scoring swimmers. Uh, Virginia scored 222.5 with six scoring swimmers. So, you know, NC State did a lot with fewer swimmers, but there were other classes in, in this conference um, that did well. And I think, I think that's maybe why the SEC doesn't have the depth that it's had in the past. I think there's a big shift to the ACC. Uh, and I think that's kind of an explanation for what we saw at both of those meets where, where the ACC men seemed super, super fast. And the SEC men after Florida and a few other examples seemed like maybe they lacked some depth.
0: NC State freshman
1: only had four scores. Four individual scores. That's that's wild. I think, you know, and I think next year they'll have, you know, it's not that wild because part of it is that they just have such a good team that, you know, freshmen might not crack the roster yet, but they've got another big class next year. Next year is like the real big class. Um, so, between those two classes. But again, we roll those classes forward. If those classes are each scoring 400 points at ACC's when they're juniors and seniors, you know, then that's when we're talking about a team that can contend for the NCAA title.
2: Yeah, top to bottom ACC men, particularly were just great this week. You look at the relay times compared you know, right up there with SEC, and in some cases better. And it was just fun watching freshmen, particularly explode, like we're saying. Uh, you know, one of the questions we've, ha- we've had for NC State the last few years is can they actually develop the top end recruits that kind of made their money early on, finding the diamond in the rough types, right? Your Justin Rest or someone like that, who wasn't necessarily highly touted coming in. But what can they do with your David Curtis's, your Sam Hoover's, your Aiden Hayes, who set national age group record in the 200 fly this week, uh, which kind of got overshadowed, you know, in, in the wake of everything else? So NC State seems to be delivering with the freshman class. Uh, UVA is, too, set so an American record in the 200 free relay mm-hmm. with, I think, two freshmen on there, uh, one freshman. That was the um, shock two, of the meeting. But they I left off nineteen one one freshman, too, yeah. in Jack 8. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, three hundred classmen on an American relay record, and NC State was right behind them. You know, we could see that U.S. Open record go down before too long, which is just crazy to think about. It's uh, been
0: 13 long years.
2: <laughs> so... Uh, so Uh, But again, top to bottom, uh, ACC men, really fun week. Largely buoyed by underclassmen, not just freshmen, but sophomores too. Yusuf Ramadan, Carlos Comarty at uh, Virginia Tech.
1: So here's an interesting slope. Virginia men by class. Remember, they didn't have any fifth years come back. So freshmen, 222.5 points. Sophomores, 220 points. Juniors, 171.5 points seniors, which I believe is a class that DeSorbo didn't recruit, at least not the full class, 90 points. So their their curve is like this with the freshmen up at the top, um, which, you know, Right now it's NC State men, Louisville men, the Virginia men aren't there yet, but they're clearly trending in the right direction. And I think another year or two and they'll be up there. That
0: is an interesting slope for sure. And that, yeah, it's it seems like obviously the UVA women have just gone way up with under de Sorbonne. It seems like the men are getting there as well. It's taking a little more time. So let's move on from college swimming. Uh, a little bit of international news ISL athletes Shields, Hozu, and Michael Andrew lose lost the bid for class status in their lawsuit against FINA. Braden, can you break this one down a little bit and give us the X's and O's and what, what this implies?
1: So it was kind of a split decision. Um, they are allowed to act as a class in terms of trying to stop FINA from doing this, from trying to stop FINA from interfering with the ISL, which is all well and good. And on a surface level, well, isn't that the whole goal of this lawsuit? But we know in reality, that's not the whole goal of this lawsuit. It's it's kind of a secondary goal of this lawsuit. And the first goal is to hurt FINA financially, um, to to win a big landfall. And the damages uh, part of the lawsuit is where the courts found that they could not act as a class. And basically what they said is, because of the way the ISL is structured, because of the way um, the money is distributed by the ISL, all athletes don't stand to benefit the same way or have the same opportunity to benefit um, if they win this lawsuit. So in other words, some athletes like Michael Andrew and Katinka Hozu, who own teams, or other athletes like Sarah Schoistrom, who's not a party to the lawsuit, um, who win lots of ISL money, stand to benefit in a different way than um, swimmers at the bottom of, of the league, like a Poundley Haas or, you know, somebody who's not taking in the big money because they're all competing for the same prize pool, and so when one swimmer wins, another swimmer loses out. So the, the courts made this distinction between what's happening here and what's happening in the NCAA where effectively the athletes were suing to say, we all have unlimited, or not unlimited, but unfettered ability to go out into the marketplace and find sponsors. Um, So when the athletes, if the athletes win that lawsuit in the NCAA, everybody benefits in the same direction in the same way. Um, This is super important because again, the ISL is not, the plaintiff in this lawsuit, they have a separate lawsuit that they're the plaintiff in, but they are funding. Konstantin Gregorichin, the founder of the ISL, is funding this lawsuit. It's his lawyers. This is a, a, a surrogate lawsuit for Konstantin Grigorshin. Um, And so from his perspective now, he, he loses a lot of leverage in settlement uh, negotiations which is a whole different matter because that's where FINA got themselves in trouble by disclosing settlement negotiations that they weren't supposed to. You know, the, the, the cost benefit has changed dramatically because this is an expensive lawsuit. They will spend, I assume, at least a million bucks on this lawsuit by the time it's done. And now they only have basically three athletes that can win financial damages from the ISL. So that makes it hard to see how this will be a net positive unless they get some awarding of costs um, to the league. But it it limits the damage they can do to FINA, which, you know, from from the perspective of the rest of us, right, can be a good thing that, it, you know, we... FINA has its problems, but the governing body giving $50 million to the ISL isn't good for the sport as it exists right now. That's, that can create a lot of problems in terms of world championships and Olympic hosting and funding of scholarship programs around the world and all those kinds of things. So, you know, I think the, the best outcome for the industry at this point is FINA gets, gets hit a little bit financially. Um, FINA is told they have to stop interfering with the ISL directly, um, and then everybody moves on, and from that point, we really need the ISL and FINA to get on the same page, to work together, to figure out how to make this all work. Um, what's more interesting than this, I thought, was finding out that uh, Michael Andrew owns 40%, Michael Andrew and his family own 40% of the New York Breakers, and um, who still haven't taken down their anti-vax tweets, um, even though it seems like the league is trying to make that happen. And if they still own 40% of the team, that's probably why the league is having a hard time getting them to delete those tweets. So I think that's pretty interesting.
0: Do we see a world where FINA and ISL can ever get along or, or make, make both things coexist for, for the benefit of the athletes in the swimming community?
1: You know, I do, I, I think this is what people do in business. They posture, but ultimately these are business people, right? Like, I don't know if, I don't know. I think some of them probably take it personally but ultimately they will make the best business decision. And I think if ISL survives that long the best business decision has to be them working together and they have to push and have some friction to come to the best results. But like what's happening this year isn't sustainable. Um, it's not going to be good for either side. And so it's going to be, can the ISL taper back its ambitions a little bit? And if the ISL does that, is FINA willing to give a little bit on scheduling? Um, that'll be the big question. FINA could kill the World Cup meets. I mean, that could be the negotiation. My guess is that well, what will ultimately have to happen is somebody will have to pay somebody else. ISL will have to, contribute funding to FINA in order to get FINA to drop the World Cups, for example, um, or FINA will have to pay ISL to adjust its schedule, depending on who, when it gets to that point, who has the most leverage with the athletes. We saw, saw the Dutch Federation has basically said, sorry, our athletes can't do ISL this year. We're, we're spending millions of dollars on their training and Salaries and stuff too, and if they want to continue to receive the benefits of that, those millions of dollars, the ISL doesn't fit into the schedule this year. Um, so it's it's all about leverage, right? That's how this all works.
2: One thing I have to add is, as you're talking about can fina and ISL get along? The only thing that popped in my head was the scene from Rocky IV, not the end of the movie, where it's like, if I can change and you can change, everybody can change, and I just had this pipe dream that that could happen, but I don't know it's going to. But maybe if we sit them down and everyone watch Rocky four together, you know, maybe that'll change something.
1: Problem continues to be that ISL has to find 30 plus million dollars a year of revenue to, to break even on this. And, and oh that's, that's gonna be hard for them. If, if, if FINA has that kind of revenue but they have that kind of revenue because national governments essentially are contributing that kind of revenue. And it's gonna be harder for the ISL to tap into that money Especially with Constantine's sort of standing in the world, um, it, it it's gonna that's gonna be tough. I I think Fina right now has the upper hand, um, but again, it's got they've got to meet in the middle somewhere. They can't both just stand at their end of the rope and keep pulling.
0: So obviously, this is this is an ongoing story. We've seen this conflict basically happen since the ISL was born five years ago now or the, at least the concept of it was um but we'll see how it plays out moving forward and on that note it's time to play our favorite game at the swim span breakdown let's play sink or swim <laughs> cal Stanford men's dual meet i think it was the fastest dual meet in history everyone suited up we saw some spicy times this could have been a conference meet on its own so my question to you is this, can the Stanford men crack top six at NCAAs?
1: I am going to sink that. Um, I'm trying not to overreact to, to dual meet times. I think that, you know, they were good, very good dual meet times. It's a COVID year still. These are two teams that are historically pretty conservative with, with their plans um, in terms of going towards NCAAs. I think both teams are trying to make sure they have some security going into Pac-12s in case there are COVID issues. And I just, I just think there's too many other good teams. I don't, you know, I don't think Stanford is better than Georgia at an NCAA level. Um, I don't think Stanford is better than Florida at an NCAA level. I think they maybe are on par with Virginia tech at an NCAA level. Um, I don't see top six. I think closer to 10.
0: Okay. They went 249 at a dual meet in the Florida free relay. That's what really stood out to me. It's like they had obviously some standout swims, the the freshman butterfly are 45 low in the hundred and he won the 200 as well, 141, but it's like, you go 249 in a dual meet. Like they, they've at least got four guys who are, who are firing. Right. And obviously one of those being freshman. Russian freshman Andre Manikov. Sorry, Robert, sink or swim, top six.
2: I'm going to sink that as well. Again, hate to keep agreeing with Braden, but it's uh, just kind of uh, – at this point, I, I just don't see it. Uh, not just the teams that Braden mentioned, but Indiana, Louisville, I think still really strong as well. And, and we've seen California teams go fast in season times before, and I know it's a little bit different, but last year, you know, Reese Whitley went 148 and 200 breast, I think in November or December, and I don't think he matched at NCAAs. So could Stanford improve? Sure. Or uh, will they continue to improve? Yes. Are they gonna necessarily, uh, you know, crush the times they just did the other day at NCAAs? I don't know, not enough with everyone else that's swimming really fast right now for me to say, you know, that's a swim for sure.
1: And that's the problem. What they did the other day was super fast, but they've still got to be faster to be top six at NCAAs, I think. Because they're, they're just not, they're not, they don't have that depth of score like a Cal or a Texas.
0: Surrounded by realists. You guys are blame. <laughs> All right, moving on. <laughs> uh, Alex Walsh, we mentioned it earlier, 203 in the tuner breast. We know she's not swimming it at NCAAs. Uh, but my question is, can we see Lily King's NCAA record of two hundred two six zero go down at NCAA's?
1: I'm going to swim it. I think Kate Douglas races it. I think now that Alex went a 2-0-3-0, Kate wants to go a two hundred two, and I think she's going to get it. Even if she, I think she's going to get it, even if she doesn't have a perfect meet. Right,
2: I'll disagree. I'm going to go. I'm going to go sink on this one, just to be uh, contrary in on this one. Only because I think again UV has so much breaststroke depth. I'm not sure makes sense for Douglas to swim it. They're going for points. So I, I'm leaning towards her swimming the 100 free. Could be, hor- could be horribly wrong. Not entirely sure I believe it as I say it, but I, I think there's a strong chance that's what's happened. And if it, and if it does, and if Alex sticks with not swimming it, I don't know that it goes down to the double A's.
1: They don't need points. They've got enough points.
0: Yeah, I I do love that we
1: don't. On, I agree with you again. You're right.
0: <laughs> I do love that we don't know what Kate is gonna swim in NCAA's. Like it's still a mystery, I and I think it I think it makes it fun because because right, she could feasibly swim two different events and win both of them.
2: I mean, the fact that we're talking about that debate again is <laughs> amazing to me. Right? What do you? Which title are you shooting for? Hundred for your toned breast, right? Like,
0: let's go down under for a bit. Um, Emma McKeon announced she is not swimming at the World Championships this year in Budapest. Do you see this Championships being as exciting or as non diluted as any other World Championships? I mean, obviously Emma's a huge name, but do you think we're still going to see people like show up and break world records like we see at nearly every post Olympic World Champs?
1: I'm swimming that because I think United States is still gonna be all in on the world championships. I think most of Europe will be all in on the world championships. We're missing swimmers for injuries and illness and various other reasons at every world championship meet. I think Emma McCune not being there definitely hurts them. The, the, the profile of the meet because she was the star of the Olympics, but there's still $2.7 million in prize money on the line for swimmers for eight days of racing in addition to Federation funding and all these other things that that is what truly is supporting these swimmers and keeping these careers going. Um, So I think I think that most of the swimmers you expect to be ready for world championships will be ready for world championships. Um, I think a lot of these swimmers are figuring out how to go fast more than once a year as compared to before, and they won't be afraid to do that. So I am swimming that it's still gonna be a big world championship meet with lots of records and all of the other things.
2: I'll swim it with a leg cramp. Uh, (laughs) How's that for a caveat? Yeah, again, it's frustrating, right? Uh, You know, I'm a big baseball guy. You just don't see stars say, hey, we're gonna skip the World Series because we need a break. But I get it for swimming because it's such a totally different sport. I, I really do. And I think what is exciting is even if we're missing a few of the key folks, uh, you never know who's going to pop up and do something amazing at world championships, right? Whether it was Reagan Smith breaking a world record a couple years ago, men's, was it 400 free at the Olympics this, last year?
1: Uh-huh, I bet. Uh, uh, yep.
2: So someone pops up and does something amazing and that's part of the fun of the sport. You just really never know what's going to happen on any given day. So I think it'll still be a blast. It'll be fun to see um, some fast swimming after it's been a really weird two years for everyone.
1: You know what baseball players do do? they skip the all-star game when they're not feeling it. So I think the, the ISL, because in my, in my view, the ISL is the all-star game. It's the novelty. It's the, it's the, the, you know, put the best swimmers, no matter what teams they're on uh, together in a relay to me, the ISL is the all-star game. And I think the ISL will lose that battle this summer.
0: So a, that's a great comparison. I was going to ask what, what is swimming's all-star game, but now we have it right. And that's it. It's going to be so interesting to see how that plays out. Who's going to do what? I mean, we, we just published Caleb Dressel saying he's absolutely not doing the whole season, but he's still planning on doing part of it. I mean, you know, it's, and that's, he's, he's the guy, right? So we'll, that's that's going to be interesting. Braden, you mentioned earlier that athletes are learning how to swim fast more than once a year, which is amazing for every swimming fan and swim nerd on planet Earth. Kaylee McEwen, who just switched teams, training under Michael Bull now, dropped some spicy times over the weekend. Two faster, two hundred her back, faster than what she went in Tokyo to win Olympic gold. Do We've seen this before where... An athlete you know comes off a break maybe gets a new coach new training and they like pop fast times all of a sudden do we think that she is going to be able to repeat those times go faster at some point this summer or at some point this year you know whether it's at world champs comms whatever other mean australia decides to focus on
1: um yeah i think she can be a little bit faster i don't I don't know. It's hard to say because she was, it's not just that she just changed teams, but she just finished a run of sort of experimenting with different teams. Um, So, you know, that can interrupt training a little bit. And maybe she's not totally broken down here, but you know, there's no reason to believe that it it at least means that whatever she's doing with bully, isn't going to kind of screw up um, whatever she came in with. So, you know, it's, I think she'll go fast this summer. I think the big, I'm swimming that the bigger question is what is Reagan Smith going to do this summer? What is Kylie Moss going to do this summer? Um, I don't know if she'll be untouchably fast Uh, and she'll have to face Reagan Smith. If she goes to Worlds. she'll have to face Kylie Moss. If she goes to Commonwealth games. Um, So they've got to, they've got to figure it out if she wants to be on top again, but I'm swimming ability to go fast again. It's February, right? We still have four months even to Worlds.
2: I'll assume that as well. And and again, uh, she has the experience. It's not like she's thrown down these times without ever having raced on the big stage before. I think that might be a different conversation, but she had a great summer. Uh, She knows what she's doing when it comes to the biggest stages in the world. And I don't see any reason she won't be
1: right up there again. Although she was slower at the Olympics than at trials last year. But this isn't trials, and these times were good for February. But she can be faster, more than once.
0: Guess we'll see, Brayden. The ominous question: Do we do we have any last tidbits? I know we didn't cover everything because there's so much college swimming. But any last thoughts, Robert? Any parting thoughts before we sign off?
1: I'm just happy to have a baseball guy back on this podcast. Um, we've missed Tori's baseball insights, and Robert, I thank you for that.
2: I try. Yeah. One last thing. I'll just throw this out here. I was looking at the swimming later this morning for men's NC state leads right now over Florida and Texas. Oh, that's right. Probably won't last, but <clears throat> they could make some noise at NCAAs
0: sink or swim NC state men. Top two
1: sink sink. But- Boo. <laughs> God, we are the worst podcasters ever. More hot takes. Another year or two. We'll see.
0: I don't know. I think NC State could challenge Cal.
1: Cal looks great. Yeah. Cal's better than you're giving them credit for.
0: I, they, I know they're good, but NC State is good too.
2: <laughs> so much talent at the top right now. Everyone's good, which is going to make things really interesting when it comes to prelims at NCAAs.
0: It'd be so awesome if we get another NC's like 2018, where it's a three-team three race, where ultimately we saw the top three be what we thought it would, but it was still close. <laughs> That's the swim breakdown. Tune in every week for your week's news in swimming.